So many people in life take up occupations they don't really want and they don't really like, but it becomes what their life is. And they can't get off this merry-go-round because they have to work, they've got to earn money, etc., etc. Very few people really enjoy what they do in life, I think, I've discovered, right? And I'm one of the lucky ones. I knew early on what I wanted to do and therefore was you know, able to follow that route. But I was not terribly good um, at academics. I was good at metalwork, woodwork, and art. <laughs> and that opens this next part of the podcast. Hold on. Mm, I had a weird thing in my throat just now. It's all right. You ever have you. that? You ever have that where all of a sudden you just sound different? Yeah, there's there's a bubble that forms. Um... Yeah, it gives you like the Jerry Lewis thing. Lately. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> Uh, I think we both have a pretty good Jerry Lewis. Um, yeah. So in this next, in the main part of the podcast this week, sort of our core segment, uh, what made me sort of want to talk about this guy in part was, again, when I watched Chappie, you know, that brought up a lot of, you know, questions in my brain. And it brought up a lot of things about, you know, what is this movie trying to do? What does it want from me? <laughs> you know, and... Again, I'm just a word processor. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a word processor for Christ's sake. <laughs> um, that's a different director. Uh, maybe we'll talk about him someday. But so again, so watching Chappie, not just because Neil Blomkamp again is going back to the Alien franchise, but it reminded me of Prometheus and the many problems I had with that film, and the many problems I have with that film. Yeah, you probably. I don't know if I've ever really fully talked about the movie with you. Like, I, you might have more problems than I do. But again, but then this suddenly reminded me of the fact that, you know, that we should maybe talk about this guy uh, named Ridley Scott. Yes, because I have a bone to pick with Ridley Scott over several things. <laughs> yes. You, you want to call him into your office and be like, Ridley? No, I, I don't have enough authority to do that, and I feel kind of uncomfortable, considering yeah. that he's made, like, made over a dozen movies but still yeah. i want to i want to discuss some well, things with him well one thing to first point out with ridley scott and what i'd like to do um is actually go over every film uh that ridley scott's made and you know some films we will go fast faster than others because actually because I, we haven't seen them yeah well I, <laughs> yeah I, well i know you probably haven't seen a bunch i've seen almost all of them all and right. i just watched a movie uh, that he made as well uh, that I hadn't seen. Uh, well, first thing to point out, by the way, in case you want to add the things to to pick a bone with Ridley Scott, um, he has uh, nicknames. Oh, he does. He does. One of them is R. Scott, and the other is Rid. Good old Rid. Yeah. Hey, Rid. Can I get that script? Yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> I saw Ridley Scott. When I see him a... interviewed, he just, frank, to, to, frankly, he does not give a fuck. Harrison and I fell out only because I was the new kid on the block in Hollywood, and I had never shot in Hollywood before, so that was my first film in Hollywood. And by the, that time, I'm 42 years old. I think I've earned what I knew, and I'd earned, I didn't have to be asked and told what I was doing all the time. Two, 2,700 commercials later, Alien and the... Um, prize winner at Cannes, the duelist, I figured I knew what I was doing. But by being the new kid on the block, they didn't know who I was. And I think big, large organizations like Hollywood 
um, which the British may knock a lot, but Hollywood does put out a lot of movies a year. I wish the British film industry put out that many movies a year, right? Um, they, you, well, as soon as you, you come in, I've seen more directors who are talented at a certain thing brought into Hollywood, and then once they're in Hollywood, Hollywood then say, well, we don't really want you to do that. We want you to do this. And you say, wait a minute, I came in here to do what I know, what I do best, so what changed? A little bit of that changed. And so I had to absolutely stand by what I wanted. So I became very bad-tempered during the making of that. No, I got that impression too. <laughs> like, around the time Gladiator came out, he did a sixty minutes interview, mm. and Mike Wallace is talking to him, yeah, about the movies he's done, and he's like, uh, "You've made Alien." He's like, "Yep," and the dude was then he's like, "Yep," and uh, you've done all this, and then all of a sudden he just lights a huge cigar <laughs> in the middle of the interview. <laughs> he's one of those. In a way, he. It's interesting that I think at one point. I remember reading an interview with him in like the late 70s or early 80s and he said that he wanted to become the his goal is to become the John Ford of science fiction huh. or or that genre. And if you watch interviews with John Ford, he acts much the same way. John Ford in interviews will be just kind of sitting in his chair, you know, smoking a big cigar and you know, the guy'll ask a question pretty simple like, you know, so so what were you trying to say in this, you know, in the searchers? He'd be like the hell I know. <laughs> <laughs> like he, those well, kind of answers. Mind, John Ford had an eye patch. That's well for part of his career. Yeah, and that's pretty awesome. Once an, for me, once an eye patch, always an eye patch. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's true. It, yeah, watching John Ford is kind of badass. Whereas Ridley Scott is just kind of one of those like irascible Englishmen. He's just like, ah, I don't give a shit. What is this? Uh, ah, all right, we'll do it. Uh, I'm not doing, I'm not, I don't know what Ridley Scott sounds like. Your, your impression needs a little work. Yeah. But... Now, to give a little background, Ridley Scott, um, he actually didn't direct his first film until he was almost 40, maybe like 39. Before that, he was working a lot in commercials, and he was actually like an art director. Made one of the most famous or infamous commercials of all time back yeah. in 1984. Yeah, well, that was a little bit later. Yeah, he... That they're like he did a commercial for Apple, Apple, which for the, was for the first Macintosh. Yeah, uh, 1984. You know, it, it, the whole thing led up to the statement: "You'll feel like 1984 has come to 1984." No, it's or I'm you'll sorry, see, correct me. Apple induces Macintosh, and you'll see why 1984 won't be like oh, 1984. Won't be. Okay, yeah, it's as if uh, the new computer will tear down how you know Big Brother acts, which. Ironically, though, now with computers, Big Brother is watching you more than ever. Well, Ridley Scott's a film director, not <laughs> oh, of a technologist. No, and that's that that commercial. I just is said one of the... technologist. Technolo. Um, anyway, that, that, and I love that, that commercial. That that commercial's great. There used to be a thing like before YouTube, where like around Super Bowl time, there would be a television show that would show the greatest Super Bowl commercials, and this one was always like number four on the mm -hmm. list. And when I first saw that, it blew my mind. And my family was like, you like that commercial? That's junk. And I'm like, no, no, no. Really? It's it's, it's something. I don't know what. But, <laughs> and I thought it was it was it was genius. And uh yeah. you know, but that tells you more about me and my family yeah. than it does about Ridley Scott. Yeah. So he works in commercials for a long time. He builds up, you know, being an art director and really that whole side of the game. And you know, one thing you could say about a good lot of his films, he, you know, has a sense for the visual. 
Yeah. You know, sometimes maybe too much. As but, much as I, as much as I as much as we can I get into Prometheus, things, but parts it, of it look cool. Parts of it look great. Parts of it look like, you know, you're you're amazed that you're seeing these things that, you know, he's using a lot of practical effects and blending that in with, right. you know, visual effects. And I want to find every well. reason I can to destroy Prometheus, but I can't say no. that it doesn't have good shots. When the movie starts off, you know, that and we'll get a little more into Prometheus a little bit later, but when that movie starts off, you know you're watching like a movie by an A-class director. Yeah. Um, now to get now the start of sins when they talk about Prometheus, they say this is the most beautiful movie I've ever wanted to punch in the face. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, now really, Scott's career starts off. Uh, now I guess through all of his commercial work, he finally gets this movie in 1977 called the uh, The Duelists. Uh, now this was a movie that I just watched. Um, finished it today, yeah. right before our podcast. I saw the last 20 minutes. With yes. It. Um, Keith Carradine, yeah, Harvey Ke- Keitel. Yeah. Now, what this movie is about? It's set in the era of Napoleon, that whole time period of the early 19th century, and it kind of follows the life, the lives of these two men. Well, mostly Keith Carradine, and the, due to they have like this moment in their early life where, like, Harvey Keitel thinks that Keith Carradine has kind of snubbed him in some way. Uh, although he really hasn't, but Harvey Keitel's That's character... really easy to do in the 19th century. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, and Harvey Keitel plays a character who, you know, his whole character is basically like, you suck, let's fight. <laughs> you know, he's basically a super hothead. And Keith Carradine's character is more like the, no, no, what? I'm not going to fight you? Wait, what? No, no, don't, no, leave me alone. No, stop. In fact, I think they even meet because I think... I think Keith Carradine's character goes to deliver some news to Matt, to Harvey Keitel, and he's just like, "Let's fight," <laughs> and and it's like, "No, no, I'm not gonna fight you." It's like, and then finally he pushes Keith Carradine too far, and it's like, "All right, now we have to fight," and you know, of course, and now it starts off with uh, fencing, you know, it's that sort of style, um, but throughout the movie, you're kind of seeing how these these characters it jumps through time. It's not just in one time period it sort of starts off when napoleon's gaining speed and they're both soldiers in you know those napoleonic wars right uh they then they kind of rise to the ranks of general over time um but over time they still go back and forth dueling and sometimes it gets really bloody like there's one sequence where all of a sudden it's just it kind of just jumps out of nowhere into them fighting with big freaking swords and it's just like that's what the back of the DVD cover said. Yeah. <laughs> watch this film and watch Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel fight each other with big freaking swords. Ridley Sold. Scott wrote that. <laughs> no, Ridley Scott was just like, yeah, whatever. It's like, um, but that scene has a lot of... that. Like, the action scenes in this movie have a lot of power. And I could see why Harvey Keitel... Not Harvey Keitel. Why Ridley Scott wanted to make this movie was because he... He very likely wanted to show people, okay, I know how to direct really good... I know how to direct action scenes really well. And it's a big period piece. Yeah, it's a big period piece. You're seeing a lot of detail, a lot of lush detail that really matters and makes the place feel alive. In stark contrast to his later historical films. Yes, but but in, in terms of this... Um, 
there's a really great sequence where the thing is the Keith Carradine and Harvey Gattel, it's not like they're friend. It's not like they're not, fr- they're not friendly at all. And they try to stay in their own separate areas of where they live, but they end up just kind of running into each other. It's like Keith Carradine will be in a bar and all of a sudden he'll look over and be like, Oh shit, Harvey Keitel's here. And then Harvey Keitel will see him and be like, you let's fight. And you know, and the thing that's kind of cool too in the movie is that they have, it's not just one way of them dueling. Like if they, I think I, one of the reasons I didn't watch this for a while was because I thought it was just about like fencing, but it's much more brutal than that at times. Like at one point they do the thing of like charging, they're on horses and they charge at one another. Yeah. You know, and, uh, that gets pretty graphic. There's some pretty graphic violence in the movie, but probably the most striking sequence involves them actually having to kind of work together sort of against their will. Like they don't, it's the one part of the movie where they don't duel because they're in one of the armies and they're out in the, uh, in the ton in like the snow. I think it's, you know, again, I don't know my history. Possibly well. Russia. Yeah. There is probably when Napoleon's army is trying to conquer Russia and not doing a good job. And, you know, Harvey Keitel asks for, you know, the group of soldiers, I need some men to help me move these dead Cossacks. And Keith Carradine is like, all right, I'll do it. And, you know, they kind of, they don't fight, but they kind of have this moment where they're looking at each other. And it's like, okay, we know we don't like each other, but we kind of do have to work in this moment together or else we might die from freezing cold. Yeah. And some moments like that make up what is a really good character piece as much as it is about the action. Um, if I had a complaint, it's that there, I want it to maybe be more about both characters a little more equally. And it leans more so in being about Keith Carradine's character, probably because he's more of the the more responsible guy because he's actually a good person. Whereas Harvey Keitel is really more of an asshole who's just like, you know, what? He doesn't like the Emperor. I'm going to fight him. Yes. Which, again, was probably common back then. Well, but you could develop his character a little more instead of just being a hothead. He could, you could show he, the reason he's a hothead. Or... And, and Keitel, pl- you know, plays him very well. He plays him great. But there wasn't as much dimension as I would have wanted. He kind of just has one mode where it's just like... Mrr! <laughs> Whereas Keith Carradine is a little bit more developed. I wasn't really expecting that. Like I, I, I love Harvey the, Keitel. Even from the parts I saw, it's like it's mostly Keith Carradine talking. <laughs> yeah, it's Keith Carradine talking. Um, there's a lot of there's some political intrigue in the movie, so it's a really good start to to a career. I mean, the fact that this is his first film is remarkable. Yeah, you know, and then so he makes this, and because and on the strength of the Duelists, uh, he. He gets a, a script from a fledgling writer whose previous credit was Dark Star. It's Alien. And it's Alien. Um, <laughs> now, I think I could safely say that Alien is probably my favorite Ridley Scott film. It's. I don't know. Awesome I don't know how film. you feel about it. But... Uh, well, Alien is a very good film, but it's it, I, I, but it has one major flaw, which Do is tell. that he, I'm, I'm all the, ears. Here are the characters: uh, Ridley. R- well, Ripley. Ripley. <laughs> Ripley. I'm sure that wasn't intentional. <laughs> anyway, Ripley. Mm-hmm. There's um, Tom Skerritt. I forget. There, oh. There's the android. Oh, God. Let, hold on. Let me... Ian Holm. Yeah, it's like, I know all the actors except for Ripley. It's like, wait, who are these people? And actually, I'll tell you the characters right now. 
aside from Ripley, you know, they have real men's names, which is, because, you know, except for two of them, they're all men. Yeah, well, <laughs> Dallas is Tom Skerritt. Uh, Lambert is uh, Veronica Cartwright. Right. Uh, Brett is Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, Kane is John Hurt. Ash. Oh, of course, Ash. Ash. Is home. Ash is and, home. Uh, and I have to remember Parker is the black guy, you know, Yafikodo, because there's that one moment where Sigourney Weaver is pissed man off. To die. Well, and there's a scene I remember really well because it's like Sigourney Weaver's trying to explain what they got to do next, and Yafikodo's sort of in the background, be like, no, we got to go. And then, like Sigourney Weaver just yells at him, would you listen to me, Parker? Shut, Shut up! up! Yeah. And apparently that actually wasn't scripted. Like, that was sort of in, like, she didn't break character, but Sigourney Weaver was actually pissed off at the actor at that moment. Yeah. And it was like, he, she didn't want to break the scene, but she was still like, I'm going to yell at you. Yeah. And that's the problem I have with all the other characters. They're annoying. They're not that annoying. They are. Like, they're, they're, pr- they're good characters. They're, but, they're truckers but, in space. Yeah, but they, everyone except for, for Ripley... Like I, I think don't. Tom I, the only been. other person I remember is I remember Ash because Ash has I, he has a major function in the plot. Mm-hmm. I remember Harry Dean Stanton because he's he gets killed by the alien. I remember John Hurt because he chest burst her. Uh, but I mean, yeah, John I don't Hurt like any of these character. other people. Like they're either whining because the, there's an alien on, or they don't know what they're doing, or they're complaining about everything, and no one else is on board. It's like. Have you ever seen the original The Thing? Um, not yet. I think it's Oh, I think list. that's on the list. Yes, it is. All right. Here's one of the Spoiler. Key, here's one of the key <laughs> differences between Alien and The Thing, which is I would a- actually say I, I do think The Thing, well, the John even the, the thing, John Carpenter the, the thing, thing from outer space. So that has better characters. Yes, but here's the reason why. In Alien they never really band together. As, as a group. They kind of do, though. When, but not like, until it's too late. From the thing from outer space, once everybody realizes something wrong, they, they all get it, and they, they don't understand what's going on, but it's like, all right, we don't know what's going on, but here, we're all together on this now. Mm. It's kind of like in From Dust Till Dawn. It's like, can we all agree that what we're dealing with is vampires? Yeah. And but and until everybody bands together, like no one can agree on anything, and rip. Ripley is the only one who's talking sense. But yeah, it's, it's, she, well, it really, it's really like, it's an interesting thing because you think at first the movie is this ensemble and it's really like she becomes the natural leader of the group. Right. Even though, even though Tom Skerritt is the lead, Dallas is the leader. And I just, I couldn't get behind anybody else. Hmm. Uh, it's not just because Ripley is our protagonist. I, I it's gotta, because nobody else seemed to be useful or or do anything meaningful. All right. Well, I would say you know, it's funny that you know obviously it, both Alien and Aliens are held up as you know benchmarks of the genre. Okay. I would. I, you know what? I'll say this: the difference between Alien and Aliens for me. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. I do think, actually, Aliens does have the better characters. Yes. For me, Alien has the better filmmaking. Well, you'd be better the to filmmaking, judge that. Well, the alien, well, alien brings you in so much into, you know, you're, you're kind of watching these events develop, and... You are recording right now, right? Of course. Good. Okay. I Thank you for checking. I'm as if I'm... You thought I wasn't looking at it? 
I can see the reflection in your uh, Return of the Jedi poster, and it looked different from what I usually see. Mm. Well, Return of the Jedi sometimes lies. Revenge of the Jedi. That's true. Okay. Um, okay. Like, for me, Alien, it's... It works because of its mood. It it's, works, absolutely. It works so well. But, uh, now, does it, like, the characters function well enough for me to get invested in the story. Are they the greatest yes. characters? No. But it's still, ultimately, you know, at the heart of it, I, I always talk about Alien as being, it is a B-movie. And the characters are out of a B-movie, They're but the movie gets elevated to artistic heights that you aren't expecting. It actually... It's, it cares about how it's developing its mood. And I really appreciate that. Yes. I mean, this... And that's characters... to me... And that's like... And that's why it's a triumph for Ridley Scott more than in other films. Except for maybe the next movie that we'll talk about. Right, but that's that's my point. The the only flaw in this great movie are the characters who I, mm. who I generally don't care about. That's fair. But, uh, I think that's a I, fair but criticism. But that doesn't mean that the movie doesn't work. Sure. I mean, you can argue that you know, people have conflicts and maybe perhaps this is a realistic sh showing, but it still doesn't mean that I like the characters very much. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Alien's still a great you film. You know, it's funny when you think about it. Through a lot of Ridley Scott's films, not a ton of likable characters. Maybe it's a running thread. Maybe. I have to see more of his films yeah. before. Although, I, actually, I though, in a few of his films, he does have some engaging characters. But anyway, so Alien, you know, obviously... What's his next film after Alien? Blade Enlighten Runner. me. Oh, Blade Runner. I've seen Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, hopefully one of the cuts. <laughs> yes. I mean, and that's something we should also we'll we'll talk about in a little bit with Ridley Scott. But you know, Blade Runner, you know, also an, an example of uh, classic modern science fiction. Also, you know, a, a filmmaker coming in and taking a story that's written by a guy who, for a while, now he's revered. Philip K. Dick, you know, yeah. and I love Philip K. Dick. I love his books. I read a lot of them. Um, at the time, you know, there was a time period where he wrote just kind of B-level stuff. You know, he wrote Pulp Fiction, basically. Well, he had to make a living. He did. Um, but he was adding in a lot of ideas and a lot of concepts. I mean, the original title of Blade Runner, the book, was, you know, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So it's like you're asking a question Blade right there. Blade Runner is probably a better title for a film. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. Well... Philip K. Dick had a lot of those. I mean, the original title of Total Recall was We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. wholesale. <laughs> I would have preferred the title. Do you remember that time we went to Mars? <laughs> no? Um, so Blade Runner, beautiful movie. I um, love Blade Runner the way it looks because that city just mm -hmm. seems like the least comfortable place to live. Oh, yeah. All he... the rain, all the crowding, all the bright lights... I felt like it was just uh, this kind of wet, this kind of smoky, exhaust-smelling mass that you know you just had to walk through. The look the of the movie has been—it's—it's—it's—you it's, it's could point to that as being one of the most influential looks on modern science fiction films. I think without that, you wouldn't have the look of a movie like The Matrix. You wouldn't have the look of a film like uh, Dark City. Maybe you wouldn't have the look of. Uh, I don't know, any a number of movies. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of them. The whole, like, some of the special effects shots, I mean, they got Douglas Trumbull from 2001 to work on some of those giant buildings yeah. that are so immensive. It's a movie that, you know, you, you it is worth seeing on the big screen just for that. It's an interesting thing where, you know, I think it's 
it's probably it's a it's that's also a case where maybe more than Alien, that's a movie where a great movie, not like the best characters either. Deckard is an interesting guy up a, up to a point as sort of like the private eye looking for clues. Uh, but but uh, there's a, there's some what's mystery. What's his name? For... Played by Rucker Hauer is interesting. Oh, he's great. Rucker Hauer is the reason to see the movie. Right, and that's and that one female, uh, the sort of uh, femme fatale. Yeah, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, she's yeah. she's interesting. The, it's like a lot of interesting sub like supporting characters. Even Sean Young, sort of up to a point, is also interesting. Oh, uh, Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Schneider. He's not. Yeah, he is. He plays like the the head scientist, doesn't he? No, no. You know who you're confusing him with? Um, he's this actor. Uh, Does he look a lot like him? A little bit, but you know, you're you're thinking of someone else entirely, and I will tell you who who this guy is because when I tell you, his name is Joe Turk. Joe, he, well, he plays Tyrell, the doctor. He's the one who creates all the, the replicants. Yeah, he's the guy he, I was thinking of. He plays Lloyd, the bartender. Shiny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, they do look a lot alike. I don't know if I see it. I th they have sort of like this sort of darkish complexion and, grease, and greasy skin. <laughs> uh, all guys with dark hair and greasy complexion look alike. No, but their skin is a little darker. Like, they have a tan. Yeah. Um, and... and, and <laughs> Blade Runner was a little darkly lit, so maybe that explains a little bit of the reason. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah Blade, but I see what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a movie that has a lot of good ideas. It's not a movie I watch very often. I've seen it a few times in my life. I've seen like, I don't, I've never seen the theatrical cut just because I've seen clips of it, and I could see why really Scott was pissed off about that because they added narration to it. And it's really bad narration. It's like Rucker Howard gives his speech. You know, he's holding the dove, and he's like, you know, all of our like tears in the rain, time yeah. to die. And then right after that, they cut to Harrison Ford, and then now in the director's cut, you don't hear anything. But before, like in the theatrical cut, I'd never seen this until I watched. I just saw a clip in the in a documentary about the making of the movie, and you hear Harrison Ford say in. The most droning Harrison Ford voice you could think of. I now know why he is a robot. Or something like that. <laughs> He's <laughs> a robot because he was built that way. Yeah. Now, hold on. Let's st step back a bit. What is the deal with all these... Okay. What is the... Okay, here's what why happened. Why do we have a theatrical cut? Go ahead. Why do we have a theatrical cut? No, no. Cut? Explain what you were going to explain. This is what happened. What happened? With Blade Runner? Or yeah, it's just... with Blade Runner. Well, with Blade Runner, I mean, he, uh, really Scott presented his cut, and, you know, it didn't, you know, it. I think that the producers were a little confused by, or they thought the audiences would be confused by certain things in the movie that they weren't explained enough, and they thought that also, well, it's kind of a film noir. It's in the film noir tradition, so let's add some narration. Let's make him like a real old school private eye type. And... Harrison Ford didn't want to do the narration, and so they added that in. So he performed it in a way that sounds really like he's dead, like even more than he does now. Like when you see Harrison Ford in interviews, he's like, uh, I, I don't know, they, they just put me in a fridge and nuclear uh, things <laughs> happened. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, Harrison. Where's that script? Yeah. Where's, where's the man who said, get off my plane? Yeah, and so... Um, and that's the version that they put out in theaters, and 
Um, it was also a very tough production, I think, originally. So, like, actually, Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford, they wouldn't talk about the movie for years. But then the work print... I and the movie aren't speaking yeah. to each other. <laughs> but then the work print of the film sort of survived, and somebody screened it at a festival, and it got really a great response, and it was screened a bunch more times in the early 90s. And then they put out what they called the director's cut, which is kind I think that's what I saw. Yeah, I mean, that probably is. I mean, that's the first cut I saw, because that's what's It was an available. old DVD, I knew, because the case was not made of plastic. It was cardboard, uh, and had one of those flaps you snapped over. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, but apparently, though, this wasn't... Actually, Ridley Scott didn't technically sign off on it completely. Like, there were still some things in it that weren't completely to his liking. So, then, come to 2007, and he releases the... Final cut. The director's director's cut. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that's it. Apparently, though, there's this edition that you can buy called The Briefcase, uh, which has the theatrical cut, the 1992 director's cut, the final cut, and I think there's also an international cut. I have no fucking idea what's different with that Blade one. Blade Runner, the only film to have, have and as then there many might... director's cuts as Alexander. I know, and I think they also include the work print, just because, why not? Um, <laughs> there are a lot of things in Blade Runner I like. It's like the kind of movie that I love for some a lot of the little moments. Even the opening of the film, it's like this interrogation with a replicant. Yeah, I remember And I that. think about that scene a lot, because it's just like... The guy asks the replicant something, and he's just like, that? What's that? And he gives this response, and I think about that scene a lot. Um, is it Ridley Scott's best? I don't know. There are times when the plot drags. It does that, drag. Like, when they're at that sort of toy maker's place, and they're like these oh, dwarves yeah. dressed up. They're supposed to be like robots. Yeah. But, I mean, not, not much ever comes of it. It's just like where the, ro- where the, the replicants are laying low. And... Not much happens. Yeah, it's um, it's not you know it's it's a movie that's especially moody. You yeah, know, it's very like you know certain films like certain entertainment. Films, it's like I have to wonder if it didn't do well in part again because at that time in 1982, the only film that did well was E.T. <laughs> you know, the Blade Runner came out that summer. The Thing came out that summer. Mm-hmm. It was all like get out of the way for E.T. Yeah. And so it it kind of bombed. It, you know, it's also it's a dark blockbuster. Yeah. It's a very dark movie. You know, some audiences weren't ready for that. It was um and apparently though from what I've read like the crew really hated Ridley Scott. Like they even some of them wore shirts like I hate Ridley Scott. Jeez. <laughs> like they were that against him because he, he comes out of his trailer. Oh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> Time to light up five more cigars. Yeah. So you know, when people talk about Ridley Scott, I mean, the two movies that a lot of people bring up are Alien and Blade Runner. And for good reason, because... They are his most iconic films. Those are his films where he put in a lot of work. He was trying to say something. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and he pulled it off. Now we move on to... Uh, then in 1985, he decided that um, he wanted to try for something that maybe almost had like a Disney flair to it, maybe. And that was Legend. Is that the one with... That's with Tom Cruise... And Tim Curry. ...as uh, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I should say that I've seen... I haven't seen it. Yeah. The version I saw of Legend is... Um, there, And there are two versions of this movie. Because... Um, well, no, no. Well, yeah. Well, this movie... 
Now, the version of Blade Runner that we saw in theater that that came out in theaters in 1982, with the exception of the narration, it was pretty close to what Ridley Scott wanted. I think maybe there were a couple little differences. I think actually no, I should say the one of the main differences is that the theatrical cut doesn't make it. It it the bleh. the director's cut is more ambiguous about whether uh, Harrison how the Deckard is a replicant. It really suggests that it might be, whereas the theatrical cut doesn't show that at all. Oh, also the th- end credits of Blade Runner. Speaking of another Shining connection, they use um, they Stanley Kubrick allowed uh, Ridley Scott to use unused takes of the car driving up to the Overlook <laughs> for the end credits of Blade Runner because it's meant to show like the sort of happy ending, whereas the director's cut is also more ambiguous than that. So anyway, Legend was originally released 91 minutes, and I think the movie was taken away from Ridley Scott, and a score was added by this group called uh, The Tangerine Dream. Have you ever heard of The Tangerine Dream? That seems like a familiar term. You know what? I'm going to do something which I haven't done yet on the podcast. I am going to... Take off your pants. Yes, let's take off our pants. I am actually going to play a little bit of Tangerine Dream for you. Like while we're recording. While you're doing that, let me say that when I when I I've heard of Legend, and it seems to remind me of another film we watched for movie night. It was like uh, Dragon Slayer or something. <laughs> Do you remember that? Film? Yeah, that was that the name that of the was film? dull. That was dull as hell. It yeah, was, we did watch that. Yeah. Oh my god. And I mean, it's from the same period, I think. Hmm. Yeah, around Where that people period. people were trying to make fantasy films that were a little darker and a little grittier. Yeah, like, um, didn't we just talk about one recently? Oh, fuck. What? Oh, oh, you know what? The other movie that, um, that I saw recently, and I, I'm not talking about it in depth because I sort of talked about it in another podcast, is Return to Oz. Oh, yeah. And that also came out in 1985. 1985 was an interesting year if you were into fantasy. Anyway, this is... That's around the time Excalibur came out, wasn't it? Was uh, that was 81. Oh, never mind. But, you know, in 85, 80, you know, in eight, between in those middle years in the 80s, you got The NeverEnding Story, you got Legend, you got Return to Oz, you got uh, Labyrinth. Oh, Labyrinth. <laughs> jump. Magic jump. Say what you will about Labyrinth. I liked Labyrinth. Yeah, not a lot, but I was like, I know yeah, you have your, I know movie. you have your issues with it. <laughs> anyway, this is the, uh, I think this is the Tangerine Dream from Legend, the movie. Let's see, isn't this? Uh, it's not terrible. So far, yeah, it's scory. What about Willow? When did that come out? That came out in 88. That's another one of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Willow's a lot of fun. Val Kilmer. And uh, what's his name? I have not seen Willow. Oh. It's too bad. Am I missing out? Okay. So anyway. I saw it when I was a kid, so I kind of... I'm not sure if it's good anymore. Yeah. But the point is, is that... So that's another movie where... uh, Apparently in that case, the movie did get taken away from Ridley Scott. And, you know, a score was added that he didn't approve of. Um, I saw, I think, the director's cut and... It was fine. You know, it was a kind of standard fantasy. Tom Cruise is kind of wooden in it. Maybe it's because his character is one of those boring leading 
young boy slash man characters. He didn't have that much to work with. It's kind of a thin movie. The movie's owned by Tim Curry. He rocks <laughs> in the movie. He he he's the reason to see it. Actually, the original score was by this guy Jerry Goldsmith, who also did Alien, and um, I could see why Ridley Scott picked that score. Whereas Tangerine Dream is very eighties. It's very synth. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Legends okay. If you like fantasy movies, it's worth trying. It's not. It's not his best. It's not his worst. It's kind of in the middle. Um. Another mo- Then the next movie he made is called Somebody, Someone to Watch Over Me, which I have not seen. Neither have I. And uh, skip it. Skip it. Um. Next movie is called Black Rain. It's uh, a movie with Michael Douglas, and it's set in Japan. Um. It's kind of a cool movie. It's very 80s and it's very trashy. It's very much like a movie that I think got really Scott in the sun water, hot water for like showing like, wait, there are Japanese gangs. We shouldn't be showing this. This is like, you know, out of line. You know, basically, you know, it's like Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia. They go to uh, Japan to solve some crime and. There are a lot of Japanese bikers. Is this a Ridley Scott like uh, buddy cop movie? Um, as much as he can do it, it's very it's a lot nastier than that. Okay, it's so a it's very not... it's a very grimy kind of movie. I think. Okay. Um, you know, it's uh, actually apparently I'm reading the Black Rain. According to Wikipedia, refers to nuclear fallout. Yeah. Known as Black Rain by survivors of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. So in other words, when a movie called Black Rain comes out in Japan, that's akin to like, you know, uh, well, I guess it's almost like, it's like having a cop movie called Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> um... But yeah, it's an alright movie, as as far as I can remember it. I only watched it once. Um, I believe it was entertaining enough. Like, It's not a movie that really sticks with you. Yeah, it certainly didn't seem to leave an impression. Nah, not really. It was it was fine, as far as it goes. I think that, it's, that was the kind of movie where he just had to kind of show that he could direct, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it was a tough time for him. Um, but the movie after that Ridley is... Scott, if you listen to the podcast, please explain. Black yes. Rain. Black rain. Maybe he can blame it on the rain. I don't know. Ah, that was lame. I'm sorry. I apologize Apology to everybody. Apology accepted, Jack. Next movie. I'm paying the wages of cinema. All right. Next movie is Thelma and Louise. Oh. Now, have you seen this? No. This is a interesting little movie. It's like Ridley Scott's sort of feminist movie, which is really about a couple women who've kind of had it with the men in their lives. Uh, especially Gina Davis, who's in an re- abusive relationship, and you know, basically, I think they, I think if I remember correctly, she basically kills a guy that she's with, and so she and students Randon go on the run. Probably his most iconic film since Alien. It's one of his most iconic for sure. Like people always will remember that ending because they'll remember the ending, and they also remember like I. Before I saw the movie in full, I always used to see clips like on VH1 when they had like I Love the 90s shows. They would talk about, man, so when Brad Pitt shows up in Thelma and Louise, like they'd have some girl talking about like, ooh, man. Like, because that's, <laughs> you know, because that's when Brad Pitt, you know, it was like his first movie. 
And he kind of shows up and he doesn't have his shirt on for most of it. They kind of pulled a Matthew McConaughey with him. Uh, <laughs> man, Matthew McConaughey has come a long way. Yeah, man. He's come a long way. Um, they made Matthew McConaughey sound like Bill Clinton. Um, but anyway, it's a good, it's a really good movie. It's really worth watching. Um, that's a kind of, that's the kind of movie where really Scott doesn't have a lot of him, but he has a few movies where he, he has a little visual flair here and there. I mean, obviously again, the end of that movie involving a car at the edge of a cliff, you know, it's, that's, that's probably what makes the movie iconic today. Aside from Sarandon and Gian Davis are great in the movie together yeah. as well. Um, actually I, another movie with Harvey Keitel. He oh. plays the cop that chases him. Um, so, um, but that's a movie where he kind of takes a back seat to making it about the characters. And there's another movie that he does like 10 years later that I'll talk about in a bit that I really respect for that, that for like every once in a while, Ridley Scott will kind of just get a script and be like, okay, let's do it. And it's not like he has to add his stamp on it. He doesn't add, need to add grit. He doesn't need to add like quote complexity. Um, but so he does film and Louise and that's actually a big hit, you know, and for a while, like he was kind of struggling in the eighties cause legend, I think flopped actually blade runner wasn't even a success. Yeah. So he was kind of eighties. were not good for Ridley Scott might explain why you had to do black rain. May, well, he, yeah, maybe he tried, he thought, all right, I have to take this as a paycheck. You know, someone to watch over me, I think was another paycheck movie that I know nothing about. That's maybe now the only, that might be the only movie of his I haven't seen. Because then after that, he does... Now, I'm curious if you've seen this. Because I... This is another one of those movies like The Rocketeer where I sort of remember seeing it, but I don't. And that's 1492, Conquest of Paradise. I haven't seen it either. Oh, okay, you haven't. All right. But what I've read about it, I mean, I only know... What I know about it is comes from books about the t- about the subject matter. About Columbus, yeah. yeah, about the historical inaccuracies and stuff. Mm. But, See, I I don't know about the inaccuracy. Like I, I saw the movie when I was so young, and I, well, yeah, that I don't have that clear memory when, of it. When you're young, you're a dumb. When you're young, you're just a dumb kid. In fact, I have things. a, I probably have a better memory of the trailer because what happened was, you know, I. I watched the movie Wayne's World over and over again when I was a kid. Like, and it was one of the trailers before the movie started? There was the, th- not even the full trailer, it was the teaser oh. of 1492. And the teaser is just, um, it's a shot of boots coming off of a boat. And they're like, kind of a slow motion walk, you know, up, you know, on the water and like the sand. And all of a sudden, like you see knees come down to the sand and then it like fades to black and you hear 1492 conquest of paradise. You all have smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'd like, I'd like to see a parody of that, that teaser where like you see the boots and they walk up and then like the camera pans up and it's like Pauly Shore or somebody. No, 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 dude. You know what you do? You get, um... Holy sure, what's he doing these days? Um, I'm sure he's working. I, I think he is doing... I don't he's know. probably doing a reality show or something. Yeah, well, maybe... Holy the... sure, if you listen to the podcast, <laughs> let us know what you're up to. Yeah, send a message to our email or something. Um, what I was going to say was that, um... 
Jeez, the, tr- the teaser. Yeah, so I saw this teaser, and I remember it being like, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really know much of... I thought, you know, I was just fed what were sort of taught as kids, that like, oh, Columbus is great, he discovered America, blah, blah, blah. You know, and the trailer was pretty epic to me when I was a kid. That is pretty epic. That's kind of like, I remember seeing certain trailers for movies. Like, in fact, Willow, I've seen the trailer for Willow a bunch of times, because that was on the tape for Spaceballs. Ah, yeah. And um, and I think, but I, did, I think I did eventually see 1492, but I don't. Again, my memory of it isn't that clear because it's not a very memorable movie. It wasn't a success. You know, it was because there were actually two movies that came out in 1992. And I don't know if you noticed they were both about Columbus. One was well, 1492, was, Conquest of Paradise. It was the quincentennial. Yeah, it was the quincentennial. And then there was another movie called Christopher Columbus: The Discovery. And I'd never seen this movie. I only know about it because it's listed in Marlon Brando's filmography. And I guess he has a role in it. He probably plays like a Spanish cardinal or somebody. He plays a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap shots at Marlon Brando. Boom. <laughs> He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> Marlon Brando. If Get you're the listen- butter. If you're listening to this, send a message to <laughs> hey, I'm following your lead. Yeah, I broke him. <laughs> yeah, it's just all right. So, um, yeah, 492, not not a success. Um, as far as I know, I guess it was a pretty forgettable epic type of thing. Maybe he we should, direct, we he should directed, watch it for a movie night. He hasn't directed another. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should. Along with that missing Ridley Scott movie of yours, the someone to watch yeah. over. Eh, I don't know. I've I've. I've that looks kind of dull from what... I don't know. Maybe it's That's not. That's never stopped us. That's true. That's true. We've watched some dull shit at movie nights. Yeah. We watched right. the unbearable lightness of living, for God's sake. I kind of liked that That was movie. entertaining, but I mean, whatever. Daniel Day-Lewis, come on. Okay. All right, so anyway. It gets next by movie, Daniel Day-Lewis. I'll give it that. That's true. And speaking about getting by on actors, although this is actually a, a good little movie, uh, his next movie is, is something called White Squall. Have you heard of this? No. We go back now to Jeff Bridges, and um, he plays the lead in this movie, and it's a movie that's, um, it's kind of one of those movies that, you know, again, when you talk about how if, if really Scott's trying to be like John Ford, this is one of those, you know, little John Ford movies where you're kind of like, oh, he made that, okay, and it's about, like, a group of teenage boys, and they discover discipline and camaraderie on a sailing voyage, but it's kind of ill-fated because there's like a storm and a big accident that happens, and then Jeff Bridges is sort of to blame uh, for their accident. To a, tale, a tale of a fateful trip, just sitting forward with Jeff Bridges aboard this tower. No, Sorry, I was messing you up there. <laughs> um, and this is a, this. I like this movie quite a bit. You know, I've only seen it the once. Um, it was one of those late-night movies where I'm like. I want to watch some Jeff Bridges. Oh, White Squall. Okay, that's cool. And you know, it's it's one of those movies that it could have been corny and preachy, but it's actually rousing and and tough. And the direction is actually pretty, for lack of a better term, formidable. It's it's a formidable opponent um, huh. as far as films go. Um, then he does GI Jane. All right. Which, yeah, that's a fine little movie too. That's a movie where that's one of those films where. You know, it's like Demi Moore is going to join the army because that's back. You know, it's, I think it was might have been the Marines. 
Oh, maybe it was the Marines. I don't know. That's back when you know it was a novelty for women to be in the army. You know, I remember as a, I remember when I saw a trail for that. I'm like, a woman in the army? Okay. Scandal. Yeah, scandal. And you dropped your monocle. Yeah. I think I've seen. That's another one of those movies that I probably have seen on cable. And I remember it in part because there's a scene where you know Demi Moore. She's, you know, she shaves her head for the movie, yeah. and then she, she's in training, and she talks back to her, one of her asshole instructors and is like, suck my dick. Because <laughs> why not? Um, That's all I remember from when it came out is just uh, her shaved head doing pull-ups. Uh, I just remember that that shot. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely that. Like that's that's not exactly an iconic movie, but it was sort of like Ridley Scott being like, okay, I need to do the studio movie. Maybe it'll make some money. Maybe it won't. Maybe it did make money, but I don't remember. Now, something I'd like to mention before the next movie in this filmography. Um, now, this isn't. Now, we're not going to have like a book of the week sort of thing. We're not going to have a required reading. But I'd like to point out something which I, I'm not going to keep. I'm, I'm going to keep going. But there's a book called The Greatest Sci-Fi Movies Never Made, and I still remember there was a chapter in it about how. For a good period in the late 90s, Ridley Scott was developing uh, I Am Legend as a movie. Mm. And it sounded really ambitious and kind of cool. Like, it would have followed the book pretty closely. And I love the book of I Am Legend. That's probably one of the best modern vampire sagas. Yeah. Um, You know, it takes the idea sort of seriously about what happens when the vampire invasion happens. And you as the human become sort of legend um, as like the some person who survived. Yeah. Um, and Ridley Scott was developing this for a while and then something happened and it fell apart. However, I read now, I don't know how, I think he took a lot of, from what I've read in this book, I'll, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. I just have to finish this thought in the book, in this chapter, it talks about how the project fell apart and then he got offered gladiator and he decided to take a, a good number of the visual cues from I Am Legend and put it in the Gladiator. Really? Mm-hmm. That's strange. Yeah, pretty strange. Now, what exactly, I don't know, but it's it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Let me say something about I Am Legend. I Am Legend is one of those books, like, uh, it's one of those books that, has been it's like been put into a spec it's been put into a prism and shot out in several different <laughs> yeah. versions because i am legend inspired like its first film incarnation was last man on earth with yeah vincent price mm-hmm. and uh after that it 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 was also the genesis for night of the living dead it is and in fact that, the author and later on richard matheson said that the closest movie in tone to I Am Legend was Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Even though it was an adaptation. And then it becomes The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. And then finally it becomes I Am Legend with Will Smith. Yeah. And the version that you get with Will Smith is sort of like the version that they come to after years of what they call sort of development, development hell. hell. Yeah. And that's what happened with Ridley Scott's I Am Legend where he developed what would have been a really cool movie. Like he developed all – like. There were actually sets that were being... I don't know if they were constructed, but they were fully designed and fully realized. Probably, yeah. Um, and it just, you know, it fell apart. 
Yeah. You know, and who knows? Maybe his career, if that happened, then you know, maybe he wouldn't get Gladiator. It and certainly then... would have been in his like in his wheelhouse. It would I have mean, been in his wheelhouse. He, you know, talking about being the sci-fi John Ford. Yeah, I, mean, I he probably would have brought a great amount of energy to that for sure. Now, now uh, let's get to uh, the one last thing. Like I Am Legend is like been shot out through a prism. It's the same thing with uh it, with the sto- with the crimes of Ed Gein. Ed, oh yeah, Ed yeah. Gein inspired three different great yeah. movies: Psycho, Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Ta- Massacre, and uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes weird, like weird, iconic things happen, and they just get incarnated several different ways. Yeah, yeah, All that's right. a good point. That's enough trivia. Let's go down to Gladiator, uh, which good begins... old Gladiator. Oh, Gladiator. Well, the... I should say that when I first saw Gladiator, um, you know, again, I was. I was a 16-year-old guy, and I I thought it was the I, I thought it was awesome. I now over good. time, I've kind of you know I've I don't you know I still think it's a strong movie. It has problems. Yes, it has problems, and it won best film, didn't it? It did. It was not maybe the strongest year in movies. I probably would have preferred Traffic, and I think that one actually Ridley Scott did. He's one of those people like uh, Hitchcock who. His film won Best Picture, but he does he didn't win Best Director. Right, and I uh, when I first saw Gladiator, I liked it too because I was on a big Roman history kick. Sure, uh, and I was not, but I still kind of responded to just the you know the ferocity of the performances. Yeah. I mean, aside from Russell Crowe, it was my introduction to Russell Crowe. Oh, okay, yeah. hadn't seen Virtuosity. <laughs> you hadn't seen The Insider either. Hadn't seen L.A. Confidential. Yeah, my introduction with Russell Crowe is The Insider. I still think that might be his crowning moment of his career. Yeah, which is saying a lot for the past fifteen years. Well, let's we'll we'll take on one person at a time. <laughs> but Les Mis, I'm talking to you. Now here's the thing. I saw Gladiator, and you know, I thought it was good event, and I only realized its flaws in. After being exposed to Ridley Scott's later historical epics, okay, but let's, but I think let's break down sort of the things that, in terms of now we talked earlier about with Alien, Blade Runner. These are like these worlds, and even with the Duelists, those first three films, you feel like wow, you're in this world. Yeah. You're really feeling the authenticity of, you know, eight early 1800s. You're feeling the authenticity of this grimy spaceship you're feeling the authenticity of this city yeah that is under like neo-noir futuristic you know standards yeah gladiator though that doesn't meet the criteria no gladiator has very the world is very shallow hmm. and now i should com- say that there, this is another movie with two cuts Real, uh, I have not seen the extended a, cut. A lot of things have directors and extended cuts. Yeah, I, I don't, you're you're allowed I'll, one cut. Yeah, I'll I'll <laughs> everything just watch. beyond that is just a little too ambitious. Yeah, uh, but Gladiator. <sighs> All right, here's now I let's, should say no, let's should... bring Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood into this. Yeah, you know what? Because let's do that. essentially, what we're talking about are three identical films. Well, <laughs> they look pretty similar. They do. They they all look yellow. Yeah, and funny thing is, apparently Russell Crowe was supposed to play a part in Kingdom of Heaven, but I think that was the one time where... He was probably busy with something else. Yeah, that was the one time where... I say what you will about his skill, he certainly hasn't... He certainly had no shortage of work. Yeah, sure. 
Uh, here's the problem, I think, with all these historical films. Now, they are poorly written. And let me give you the prime example of how I know they're poorly written. Like, you could just say something's poorly written, but let me point out exactly where, you, what the litmus test is. It Whenever somebody in a script, like, that takes place in medieval times or in ancient times, whenever they mention anything about the people or about the nation, usually that's where the garbage comes in. <laughs> Now, let me explain. There is a scene in Gladiator that I'm hearing the words in my head, for sure. Like, there's a scene with Mar- Derek Jacobi and, uh, and Joaquin Phoenix that I think you're kind of referencing. Yeah, like, Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator says, Rome is to be a republic again. And, <laughs> and Marcus Aurelius, well, for one thing, you probably didn't say that. No, certainly did not. <laughs> because, A, he was the emperor and would have lost his job. Yeah. And, B... It was impossible now, by that point. Now let's That's about, like saying, oh, America should go back to being colonies again. Now, now we're not saying that as a filmmaker, as someone making, it's a movie, you can you can conflate events. You don't have to be, like, super close no. to the time period. I'm not talking about, like, necessarily just historical exactly. accuracy. Yes. But what I am talking about is a certain authenticity. Yes. Where you can be fanciful, but you have to fit within a certain tone. And settings have a certain tone. Mm-hmm. Nobody in Rome was ever talking about democracy or the people or a republic or anything. And usually when screenwriters do that, it's because they have no idea how to get the audience invested in the time period. Yeah. It's like, well, what do people like? Like They like representative government. That's <laughs> what, something we can all get behind. And it happens in so many movies. Like, in Kingdom of Heaven, this is how it happens. Like, Orlando Bloom gives this big speech before the big battle. Okay. And it's all about... I think I remember about that the, now. And he's like... And he's like, all have claim to Jerusalem. No no person would have said that back then. <laughs> I, I know what... You have to fit into a context of the times where, like... You don't have to be a super historian, but you have you do you can understand that no one would have been like, yes, all religions are equal, and we shouldn't be fighting over this because and that's it's not true. Dumb. Because you know, Islam is not equal to Christianity, and Christianity is not equal to Judaism, even though there are a lot of similar you can, traits. You can have people coexist, but no, nobody in the Middle Ages during the Crusades was saying, yes, everybody's welcome, and we'll treat you res- with respect. Yeah. I have to wonder if, you know, movies sometimes, you know, they also reflect the times that they're made in. You have a movie like Kingdom of Heaven, which comes out in 2005. Yeah. Right in the height of the Iraq War. And there ha- there's there's probably some sort of commentary there about something. Well, yeah, but but the way they do it is, like, it's so obvious. Like, this is the lesson of the movie, people. <laughs> it's not subtle at all. Yeah, there, and, there are uh, things in Gladiator. It's, it's, it's a shame, because in Gladiator, I really like the action in that. I think the action is yeah, pretty well directed. Yeah, it's good action, and I love that thing. But, like, it's built on this script of just strange things. Like, for, like the tone gets The off. mob is Rome. Yeah. In Gladiator. I remember a lot of lines from that movie. I've probably seen that movie... More than I should have. Yeah. Now I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen Robin Hood. 
No. But I've seen a lot from the trailer to know that it has the same problem. And it's like... There's a Russell scene in the trailer Russell Crow where Russell Crowe comes out of the water and he looks like he's in Gladiator. Well, what... Okay. But he says, like, people have to be governed by the law. Well, and, now here's a trivia piece that's going to make your... your I'm going to see smoke come out of your ears in a second. Okay. Ridley Scott said the only previous Robin Hood movie he thought was any good is Robin Hood Men in Tights. God damn it. <laughs> Clearly, oh, this man boy. does not understand what the heck Robin Hood is all about. Uh, and here's you. another thing. I would say, though, <laughs> now, I've seen Robin Hood. It's, uh, eh, it's okay. The, you know, oh, they're Ridley actually, Scott's Robin Hood. Yeah, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Now, I have seen that. I do remember, like, I actually, I almost remember seeing it out of kind of, like, some kind of obligation where I'm like, yeah, I'll go see it. It's a new Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> some sort of obligation. Why not? Well, there's another movie like were that. You with a, were you with, like, a dying cancer patient? And that was their, <laughs> last, wi- their last wish? <laughs> nah, I just felt like, you know what, here's a movie that... You know, there's probably a lot of work put into it. And I like Kate Blanchett a lot. She's uh, plays Maid Marian in the yeah. movie. And she's really good. Okay. Um I feel I, kinda, I, I, I feel kind of sorry for Robin Hood though because I mean, you maybe know about this that what turned out to be Robin Hood wasn't supposed to be that. Yeah, it was supposed to be about the sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, it? it was about to be it would show them in a more sympathetic light. And Robin Hood as more of a villain. Yeah. Imagine that movie. That's compelling. Yeah, and actually Ridley Scott wanted to do that, he wanted to make the Sheriff of Nottingham more of a conflicted character. But then the studio basically said, like, yeah, no, no, no. that's no. We, we want, like, Russell Crowe being badass and stuff. So in that case, I do feel kind of sorry for Ridley Scott. I mean, he still agreed to do the movie. He was still like, yeah, all right, give me the script. Um, I that's what say, I feel the problem is. I would say that the opening of Robin Hood is actually pretty good that's there's a sequence near the beginning of robin hood which actually focuses on robin hood fighting with uh king was it king richard and uh, the crusades that was sort of the backstory in robin hood right wait, who was the like which king are you talking about um what is that well, well isn't that like when robin hood you know he comes the whole story in robin hood he comes home from the crusades yeah king richard comes back from the crusades oh he comes back with him no, wait. No, Robin Hood comes back and look, Prince there, John is in charge. All right, look, there are two, there are two kings: Prince John, who's like the taxing guy, and yeah. then there's King Richard, who's like uh, who went to the Crusades and he's away. Oh, okay. Well, in this version, at the start, actually, if I remember correctly, there's a little bit of like Robin Hood fighting with King Richard in the Crusades. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, and that's actually pretty cool. You actually get to see King Richard as a character. The opening of that movie is actually good. It's just that after that, when he comes, when Robin Hood comes back to Nottingham, that it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then outlaw. Yes. See, I stole your line. Boom. And here's another sign of 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 period movies of writers of period movies using the using the lazy button. Yeah. Exploding projectiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like how can we make this battle scene more interesting do we have catapults and stuff yeah have them mm. shoot flaming stuff that explodes when it hits the ground they do yeah. that in gladiator and the kingdom of heaven and there's even a scene in robin hood like one of the few clips that i've seen where they're trying to besiege this castle and they just like put these 
these skins full of oil up and they set them on fire and it basically blows up a gate. Mm. It's like, well, we can't have explosives. How can, it, because it's before explosives were invented. How can we have this and not be called on our nonsense? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and one thing I should say about, um, about gladiator, I have to wonder if the one thing that is not the movie's fault per se, and it's one thing that I do feel bad for is that Oliver Reed died during the making of the movie. And there are actually a couple of moments where, if you look closely, you can tell that they actually green screened his face on another actor, yeah. or they sort of sh- shot him, shot another actor from behind, yeah, to make I know it look that like him. You're talking about, and you know, I and mean, whether that, that would have made maybe that would have made the movie a lot better, but you know, it does kind of suck when your actor dies and you have to kind of scramble to, uh, you know, pull like a Furious Seven, yeah. And then there was the, the there's a director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven, which, yeah, which I and I have not seen. I saw the theatrical cut ten years ago, and I remember little bits of it. It's like I know Liam Neeson is in it, yeah, and of course Eva Green, who's one of my, you know, top ten. Yeah, <laughs> Eva Green's good. We you all know, know who, you know who you know who I you know who I remember most from Kingdom of Heaven is Edward Norton. He made an impact on Wait me. It's like Who, Edward Norton Edward is the was... guy behind the mask. Oh God! You know, did you ever know him? that was him? No. Yeah. He was Bald uh, Baldwin, I think. That was his name. Like, I the guess ki- the, the name of the king. Yeah, the king with the face that is never shown. Yeah, he was. He, yeah, and I it was kind of cool because well, Edward Norton he was actually offered a different role, and then he actually saw the role of like the king with the mask. He's like, I want to play him, <laughs> and I think he went uncredited. But if you listen, if you hear his voice, it's Edward Norton. Nice. I remember him because it's like, yeah, this is creepy, and I like it. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like Gary Oldman in uh, in Hannibal, which we could talk about in a minute. And oh man. So in the director's cut, what do you want to say? Director's cut about? adds a bunch of stuff that doesn't make a difference. It's just still a, cr- a crappy film. <laughs> It's poorly written, and they add like a scene where with Eva Green's character's son, okay, which wasn't even in the uh, thing, but like, but you see why it could have been cut because it makes absolutely no difference to the plot. Yeah, I mean, even I remember the the, the theatrical version felt kind of I don't know if the word I'm looking for is lugubrious. <laughs> Maybe I don't know what that word means, and I'm just throwing words out there to sound... Well, to be honest, I'm not sure what Lugubrious yeah, means either. But among those three films, I'd say Gladiator's the better of them, just due to the quality of the acting. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is great in that movie. He really stands <laughs> out as... You know, I mean, Grant, he doesn't have... He doesn't have to play a super complex being. Right. But he is... But he plays the character as truthfully as he should. And it's not that I hate movies with historical inaccuracies or that are fanciful. No. Because I like 300. (laughs) God help me, I love 300. But you know what... And that's an unrealistic film with dubious writing. But you could say, though, a difference between those two movies is that 300... I'm not the hugest fan of the movie, but I do recognize that the way that it's shot and presented... It doesn't try to put on another face about it. Right. 300, 300, is, 300 is trash and it knows it. It's a stylized piece of trash, but it's an entertaining stylized piece of Gladiator trash. Gladiator And all the details is, seem to fit together. Gladiator's trying to be a super prestige picture. Yeah, and it's missing the fine details that would make it good. Yeah. And it's... 
you feel that someone wrote it without a lot of thought. Now, I should tell you that one of the things, um, to give a little production history, I did, um, I read about, not in the same book I read about I Am Legend, but in a, in a book about the studio, DreamWorks, you know, and this was like their, one of their first really big movies. Yeah. Um, there was, a, there was kind of a troubled production history, like they were kind of writing the script as they went along <sighs> in some parts. And of course, and Russell Crowe was a really, is like a huge pain in the ass during the making of the movie. And maybe, you know, maybe some of the lines were, like, he, that whole speech he gives where, you know, he's like, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those, that's, like, not actually not that bad. It's, like, a typical tough guy line. He actually gave, like, a, he got really angry, and he didn't want to say those lines. He's like, what is this shit? And really, Scott was just it like. It is a mouthful. Yeah, and just say it. Um, so... Yeah, it's um, one of those films that, you know, it's it's um, it has but a bigger reputation than it probably deserves. It definitely does. And it's kind of identical to another movie, which is crappy, called The Fall of the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. Which is about the same characters in the same time period, mm. and it's just awful. <laughs> All right, this is not Ridley Scott's fault. <laughs> but it's sort of in that mold that, you know, Gladiator yeah. is calling back to those kind of, you know, sword and sandal type of films. Yeah, that except are... it takes itself way too seriously. Yeah, like, yeah, Gladiator, a problem I've seen in certain Ridley Scott films, not all of them, and I'm going to actually get to a couple of positive examples, he sometimes takes himself too seriously. Hmm. Gladiator takes itself pretty damn seriously. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's fun, but it's like one of that kind of like brutal type of manly fun or something. I think 300 is brutal, manly fun. That doesn't take itself too seriously. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, 300 is goofy in some parts. That movie well, has... I wouldn't say it's goofy. It, it has, like, a hunchback. Doesn't it? There's, like, a treacherous hunchback in that movie. The only kind of hunchback. <laughs> you know, and also Xerxes. You know, they yeah. made Xerxes look like a drag queen. And got, Still, it somehow adds up sometime, to something. By the way, at some point you should check out 300 Rise of an Empire. Yeah. I might actually like that more than 300. All right. Which also has Eva Green. Yeah. All right, so Let's getting on to the rest of his stay career. On this. No, no, I'm going to go through the rest of his movies as soon as I can. Hannibal was his movie they followed up Gladiator with. And I kind of like Hannibal. I do. I, I was thinking about this movie recently. I it got It got a lot of crap when it came out because, you know, you're following up Silence of the Lambs and you replace Jodie Foster, and you have some ridiculous scenes in that movie. Have you seen Hannibal? No. I know of uh, oh, I know of its know, reputation. Well, there are certain gross things that happen in that movie that almost defy logic, but that's almost a case of like, okay, Ridley Scott's having fun. <laughs> you know, this is him having fun, and Gary Oldman plays the real villain of the movie. He's like this deformed guy whose face has been mostly eaten off. By, like, I think by pigs, maybe. Like, or he feeds people to pigs. That's his thing. And, <laughs> that's um, his super villain. And you uh, don't trademark. recognize Gary Oldman. Like, that's the thing. He goes, he disappears into this totally creepy guy. And I kind of like the movie. As The more I think about it, it's, you know, uh, meant to be nothing more than a 
crowd-pleasing, mindless blockbuster. But it's done efficiently, and it actually has a pretty clever script. Huh. It has lines that you remember pretty well. Bowels um, in or out? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. See, that's the only line I know from the movie, but it's still not bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know some other lines that are pretty funny. Um, and pretty gross. Um, so that he does that, and then later that year, his next prestige movie is Black Hawk Down. Ah, now, now have this you seen movie that? I know very well. Oh, okay. Well, you're, time, I see you're rubbing your hands. There was a time I watched Black Hawk Down maybe every week or so. Really? I uh, I was I was kind of on a military kick. Okay. And so as a result, there are some scenes like not even just like not even like whole scenes that I remember, but like just shots I remember. That movies that, that really stick out in my mind. That like there's one part where soldiers are running across an a bit, uh, an empty street and one of them just trips and falls over himself. Hmm. And I remember exactly when and how he does that. Hmm. And uh Certain uh, certain things like when they're arguing over whether limo is actually a word or not. Okay. <laughs> and uh, there is a scene in the movie that I actually, for some reason, I remember though that, and I, when you talk about characters sort of explaining things, there is a scene where I kind of debate whether the scene is purposeful or not. It's like one of the Somalians like kidnaps like a, a pilot. Yeah. And like, there's a scene where the Somalian is explaining his point of view about like. Things in America. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where the film kind of stops. never smoke anymore. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I feel like the scene goes on even longer than that. He gives The Somalian guy gives this long speech. Yeah. And it feels a little unnatural. I remember even when I saw it, it felt like the movie kind of stopped to do this. Which maybe the movie needed it. The movie's like non-stop action. Well, it, I... Black Hawk Down does have a lot of great action in it. It does. And I and, and this is almost you could whether you want to give credit or blame, this you could sort of look at this movie as part of the genesis for how action movies are shot and edited today, which is very, very fast. Really? To the point where sometimes you're not sure what's happening. I don't think uh, Is it confusing? No. Okay. Well it's a little it was a little any bit. confusion, I think comes from the fact that you have to basically follow four different storylines that are happening simultaneously. Mm. There are, there's the main body of troops. There's like a caravan of vehicles trying to get to this crash site. There are, there are downed pilots somewhere else. And, uh, and there's like people in the command center trying to get control of the situation. And Mm. you're constantly switching between four different, scenes like yeah. four different little dramas that are happening all over which are life and death there are Any a confusion lot of confusion that on. happens in the movie is basically basically mirrors the confusion that the people that the characters are experiencing yeah it's an intense movie i enjoyed it yeah i, I, I saw I, it like at a sleepover <laughs> and wow. we, we were must all have been a loud sleepover well we were in a basement okay and uh yeah i just remember uh, i remember loving the movie when i watched it and yeah. Hmm. You know, a bunch of teenage, you know, like twelve and thirteen year old boys watching that's people a movie. getting ground up with miniguns and and, and that's things a, like that. Yeah, it's a violent. That's a damn violent movie, man. Yeah, I have not seen it in a while. Maybe it would be it interesting also, to revisit it. Like I remember the scene where, yeah, all of a sudden, don't they have to? Do they? 
Do they amputate a guy's leg? No, they have to try to clamp. They have. There's a guy who's been wounded in the leg. Yeah. For more okay. for moral artery, and they have to open up his leg and shove their hand in. Yeah. To, to oh, get his artery. That is a, it's, That's a visceral scene. Then he like passes out from shock. Oh yeah. Oh god, that scene is that was tough. To that's watch. brutal. That it's, it's funny it's how well executed. That scene probably stands out more to me than a lot of the shooting you know people firing guns at each other yeah because to me that's about the characters as you say they're banding together to do something yeah um so yeah so then we get black hawk down and i think that was success for really scott one of those times where unambiguously i don't think there's a director's cut out there i hope not i love uh it also has one of my uh my favorite unappreciated character actor eric banna Oh, was he in that? Yeah, he plays like a he plays a Delta Force guy. You know, what I remember from that that was the first time that I saw Ewan McGregor in a movie, and he was using an American accent. Yeah, that Ewan surprised McGregor. me. I almost was like, "Wait, is that his voice?" William Fichtner is in it, of course. Uh, He's in a lot of movies. Yeah. Was Sam Shepard in the movie? Yes, I feel he like played, he played the commander. He played the commander. Yeah, Tom Sizemore. Oh yeah, Tom that Sizemore. guy who was in. Um, Josh Hartnett? No, Josh Hartnett was in it. That guy who was in Pearl Harbor. And he goes, oh, he, he's this goofy, Owen Bremer? Yeah, that goofy-looking guy. Yeah, and he was also in Train Spotting. Um, yeah, so Black Hawk Down is a good movie. I'm, it's one of those movies that, like, I, it certainly would stand out probably for some people in Ridley Scott's catalog. Whether it's iconic, like Alien, I don't know, but it's an efficiently it's made movie. It's certainly not iconic. It's, it's a movie that I people barely think about. I, I just um, I, maybe in military time, movies I, I do. It's one of the best military movies I think. Like it's oh. it's a, it's about a military that's oh man I can't it, it's it's a very it's a modern war movie like and it's very much about America's position in the world. Yeah, and that's why that I think that Somali speech is important. Okay, because speaks, I mean I don't remember it, it super a lot clearly. To, but. American attitudes and American bewilderment at why yeah. these things don't work. And it's probably mm. especially relevant now, considering Afghanistan and yeah, Iraq. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's kind of come and gone. I saw it maybe a year ago when I remembered I had it in my DVD shelf. Okay. And that's when I when that's when it kept coming back to me. And I'm like, mm. yeah, this is a really good movie. And it holds up then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, after that, Ridley Scott does um, Matchstick Men. Which I I really like this movie a lot. That's Nicolas Cage, right? Nicolas Cage. He plays a guy who has um, really bad. Um, I don't know what you call it when you can't get things clean enough. And going, yeah, he has OC, he has terrible OCD, and he's basically he's a con man though. Him and Sam Rockwell are con men, and oh, Sam Rockwell. Yeah, they're they're kind of partners in the movie, and then he's given a. A girl then, to take care of. And then Sam Rockwell was arrested and shot to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of those cases where, even more than Thelma and Louise, here's a movie where Ridley Scott just does a movie about characters, and it's really good. It's really funny. It's a funny... You you should check this movie out. I know you like Nicolas Cage when he's doing good work. And this is a good <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie. And it's like... That, that was like one of those rare movies where I actually kept telling Matt about the movie, and he... Finally said, "All right, let's watch it." And he's like, "Okay." If only it'll shut you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't. This is one of those movies where Nicolas Cage is just—he has a—he has good material. The script is actually funny, 
It's in- he's not it's- just flailing his arms and screaming. No, no, no. <laughs> he's he's playing a character who you know, and he has real problems. It doesn't like. It doesn't make fun of the OCD. It kind of makes fun more of like the people around. Like Sam Rockwell kind of mocks him at times for like for how clean he is, and then like Nicholas Cage's character is sort of settled. He he's given this girl who I think you know may or may not be his daughter. Like he's not totally sure. It's one of those kind of things. The ending is one of those twists that I didn't like on when I first saw the movie, but I liked more later on. They were and, all inside a snow globe. It's not like that. Okay. It's a con movie. It, or, it, see, in a con movie, it would be that they're all inside snow globes, and they're not really snow globes. They're actually, like, ski slope globes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, that sounds like a great movie. Yeah. Um, Matchstick Men. But I spoiled the ending for you. Yeah. I. This would be up there with his one of his better films. Like, I would say that it's, it's worth checking out for everybody... Like and people don't remember as well. Like you say that people don't remember Black Hawk Down. I'd say that Matchstick Men is one of the movies where, you know, it's, he like he made it, came out, went away, that was it. But it's, uh, it's a it's a heartwarming movie. It's like suddenly, it's like the Tin Man has you know. It's like who knew he had a heart? No, I know I have a heart. Yes, because it's breaking. Okay. So let's go through a few more of these. A Good Year. Haven't seen it. No. It's about Russell Crowe in a vineyard. Fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> What's next? Um, American Gangster. Also, I really like this movie. Um, you, yeah, when I was started ranting about Ridley Scott, you told me to see this, and I was like, oh, I haven't. I, you I had, you have not, huh? I had like I had thought that Ridley Scott had only done like Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood, and then Prometheus. But then no, you're like, he's oh, done no, a lot he did of American little, Gangster. He's done a lot of little movies. He's had a career. Um. It's just that, like, it's the weird thing that he actually admitted in an inter- interview that he used to at one time kind of hem and haunt, like, and kind of struggle about what would be his next movie. And I think after Gladiator, it was when he was like, all right, I'm just going to do a movie a year. All right. Um, so, I re- American Gangster is a lot of, is really good. Uh, a really strong crime epic that... Um, Russell Crowe once more. Russell Crowe once more. Us- probably his, probably my favorite performance of him in a Ridley Scott movie, like okay. more than more than Gladiator, <laughs> you put it within those confines because you want to save virtuosity for your best Russell Crowe of all time. <laughs> well, you can't beat him in that movie. He basically <laughs> plays the Joker. Yeah. Um, and Denzel Washington, of course, is uh, wonderful. You know, is uh, real you know real life story of gangsters and criminals, and that's where you know he gets to kind of work like being gritty again but in a more realistic way. Yeah. It's kind of like if he took the sort of city-bound r- way of doing Blade Runner, but putting it in like a 70s movie aesthetic. Um, it's a really cool watch. I recommend that. Then he does a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Denzel Washington is really a replicant. Yeah. Hey, and they paired up Denzel, and Denzel was in Virtuosity. Oh, yeah. Ha! Huh. Oh, you forgot about it. I almost forgot Russell, Russell Crowe Crow steals just, the movie. Yeah, he stole the it's movie. It's a very different pairing of those two. They're barely on screen together. They kind of have separate plot lines because Denzel's, you know, the criminal and yeah, he's the villain, and now. Russell Crowe's the cop. Um, yeah. Um, so, oh, the other a small thing to mention, by the way, in American Gangster, actual good su- performance from uh, the RZA. Oh, who 
Were you there when we watched The Man with the Iron Fists? Oh, was I? (laughs) (laughs) That's... He is so bad in that movie. I don't mean to talk shit about an actor, but he is bad. I live in Jungle Village, which is called that because it's like a jungle. You get it? (laughs) Oh, he's he's so... Well, I wouldn't blame him for being... just water in that. Well, he directs himself. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And oh also Russell Crowe's in that. Okay. Next movie is Body of Lies. Um that's a good little movie. Uh that also came and went. Leonardo DiCaprio was in that. That was him, I guess, basically trying to see if he and Ridley Scott could work together. Um Russell Crowe's also in that. Um I remember this movie mostly as I went to go see this movie with my father in law, just as in a way in part to kill time while my wife shopped for a wedding dress. Huh. Um, but I do remember the movie was all right. It was not, nothing great, but it was, oh, and my speaker just fell off. Um, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost talking like Popeye. Yes, yes, my, my speaker fell off my phone. Popeye always talks to himself that way. Um, okay. Well, you knew who better than I. All right, and we talked about Robin Hood. Now let's are get we going to get up to the one. big one? Because we are, we, are, we, are up to, we are up to the big one. All right, I want to get to the bathroom first. All right, let me pause no, this. Don't pause. Just tell. Just introduce the movie. Okay, let's talk about Prometheus, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for those of you who don't know, okay, Prometheus is about uh, a ship that has been tasked to uh, go to this uh, planet, and what they're going on this planet is there. It's sort of revealed that there's possibly Something to do with, for lack of a better term, the, the the creation of life itself, or where life for human beings began. Um, so these astronauts come down, and uh, one of them is Michael Fassbender, and it's kind of shown that he's uh, unambiguously an android. Um, his name's David. Uh, you also have... Um, Oh, what's her name from uh, the Dragon Tattoo movies? Um, Rumi. Ru- Rumi Rapace is in it, and uh, she kind of plays the sort of not Ripley character. And what she happens does, she's is definitely he's, not Ripley. No, and what happens is these astronauts go basically around looking for unobtainium. I don't know. They they go around trying to find this this thing that will explain supposedly the meaning of life. Like there's a very big sort of conceit i think at the center of prometheus if i remember correctly yeah the fact that they're going to this planet on this mission that you know they'll get the answers to something and of course they're led by the wayland corporation and actually the guy who runs wayland um is sort of leading the sort of charge let me take a moment to talk about the wayland corporation which Right, maybe I, the alien. Right, maybe I should leave you to this because I need to go to the bathroom no. myself. So why don't you, maybe Andrew, do you want to talk now a little bit about this while I go to the bathroom? All right, All let's right. talk a little bit about this. All right, Prometheus. Scientists are gonna try to find the origin of human life. Maybe. And so they got get this guy Wayland to fund this entire ship, and he somehow pretends to be dead, which is not important for some reason. Because he assumes that the aliens are going to figure out how to tell tell him how to live forever. Why he would want, no, think that is up to the audience's supposition. So, why not? 
they go into this alien facility, which is kind of like, uh, which is kind of like a big dome with a skull on top of it. And they go in and they find these jars of black goo, which nobody knows what it is. And David takes some back probably to study it. Although why, what he expects it to do? Ugh. Look, I could be, I can't explain what's going on with Prometheus. It seems to have a lot of big minded ideas, which it doesn't let us in on at all. I mean, everybody's going there just to, because they think they're going to find the answers to where life comes from and what our meaning is in the universe or how are we going to live forever. But, and it's, everyone's expecting to find something and nobody finds anything. <laughs> the audience doesn't find anything. In other words, it's kind of like Ridley Scott's uh, version of a Monty Python, the meaning of life. It's like some kind of <laughs> joke. It's the problem is, is that here's, here's the thing with Prometheus. It originally started with another script, which I think there was another writer who is credited on the movie, but then whether it was Ridley Scott or the producers or I don't know who they bring in Damon Lindelof, who you may know because he was one of the guys behind lost. Um, he was also a writer for star Trek into darkness. And, um, this guy kind of mucks up stories for no good reason. There, you to almost, make them seem profound. There's a kind of way of trying to make them seem profound, and it's not. It's like an emperor's no clothes thing. Here's, there's, and there was also that in Star Trek Into Darkness. I felt as well. Yeah, like if you there's a there's a trick that sometimes writers will try to uh, pull in shows where that are built around mystery. Yeah, where if if you're getting canceled after a while, or if you can't figure out what the, if you haven't figured out the mystery it is, you make the ending ambiguous. Yeah. Now they, they do this to make it seem like, Oh, what did it mean? <laughs> but really what it is like, we didn't figure out what it meant. We have no idea. And the show yeah. you can go on without yeah. it. Now we go now when I bring up the, you know, again, now I know again, you bring up how an alien, the characters, they're, you know, they don't really come together. They're maybe not that likable. This, they're not stupid. Yeah. They're well, not that stupid. Okay, they're not stupid. I'll give them that. Yeah. They at least have some intelligence about what's going on. And, you know, they're they're reacting like human beings would in that situation That as it's unfolding. And they're trying to keep their heads level. Whether they're always reacting well is another question. Characters in Prometheus act stupid. Yeah. That's a problem. It's like, and again, I bring up Chappie as another example where you're throwing out logic in the face of let's throw in spectacle. And yeah. that's not enough. Let's start with the beginning. The, sci the archaeologists find all these cave paintings, which seem to indicate a certain place in the universe. Mm-hmm. And that's all they have. And they're expecting like, oh, we're going to meet our creators. What would tip you off to make you think <laughs> that you were going to meet anyone out there. Yeah. <laughs> and never mind the fact that you're, how did you convince anyone to fund this, this, this way either? Like, see, Oh, what's your evidence for this? Like, see, yeah, I would almost, a bunch of cave paintings. See, I would almost let, I could almost let that go just for the sake of, okay, we got to get this you, plot started. Well, somehow. You, you need a setup and, you know, you do have, like, an eccentric 
old crazy business leader and he can do whatever he wants. Yes. You know, so you do have that aspect that, you know, granted it does kind of answer away. Maybe a you key could, plot point. Maybe you could convince a, uh, an eccentric millionaire to fund a trip based upon some consistent evidence of alien life. Mm-hmm. Okay. But why on earth would you expect to find the origin of human life there? Yeah. Now the big, why on earth yeah. would you expect to find the secret of immortality there? Yeah. It's, it's very much like, and I think at first when I was watching the movie, I remember, okay, I, I don't, I don't think I was asking the big questions at that point when I was watching the movie and they presented that concept. I'm like, okay, you're, you're presenting something kind of big. Maybe I'll go with this. Yes. That, it's, as it soon, is not a deal breaker. No, you're presenting something that, okay, movie, you're, you're, sh- you're, you're revealing part of your hand. Let's see how this game goes. Yes. It's like you're watching a poker game. Yes. And it's like you think that the guy you're playing against is really smart. Like John and... Malkovich in uh, <laughs> Rounders or whatever it is, <laughs> or Werner Herzog in The Grand. Oh, wow! You're you're pulling out a good reference. Oh. and uh, then they go. Let's act. Let's as soon talk as about the characters ast- being stupid. As soon as the astronauts get off the ship, that's when it starts to get a little. Yeah, stupid. the male scientist. He's like, "Oh, seems the air is breathable. Let's all take off our helmets." And like, even if the air is breathable, there could be microbes there that would kill you. Yeah, and then. That kind of decision. And then, like, he takes off his is, helmet, and then everyone's like, "Whoop! Let's all take off our helmets." That's the kind of thing that we you all... see in like one of those like lesser movies, like Red Planet or something, yeah, where they're on Mars, and it's like, "Wait a minute! Hey, we can all breathe. Our eyes won't bug out like in Total Recall." <laughs> yeah, say what you will about Total Recall. That's at least like. Visually. That's at least a consistent movie. Yeah, with Prometheus. The other thing too, when I bring I'm not up gonna... uh, when I bring up Wayland too, like we're, you know we're already in spoiler territory. Like when he suddenly pops up in the third act. <laughs> All right. Like, yeah. It's like I don't care. Uh, it's <laughs> the, the cinema sins guy said it best. It's like eh, okay, whatever. Yes. And we're not going to point out everything because other would people be, have done that. People us. have done that. Check out the Red Letter Media Prometheus questions. That's the best video there is out there. Yeah. It's basically a video of a guy asking questions to his friend, and his friend is sitting there like he's had a brain aneurysm. Yes. Um, and the pro- and it's, 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 it's squandered, acting... squandered potential. Squandered Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and he's, you know what? I would say he still he comes out of that movie unscathed. I he think does he's, a great he's job, really good in the but movie. I mean, he's not in any his performance doesn't amount to anything. His character makes stupid decisions. He takes that vile black yeah. goo and puts it in the refrigerator, <laughs> and it's not even hidden. Yeah. It's in the refrigerator where anyone can get it. And then he's like, "I'm gonna put this in your drink. Don't know what it'll do. Could kill you. Could kill everybody. Let's mm. see what it does." And you and also, like, and you're also led to believe, like, so the whole we can kind of say, think that the entire, maybe the entire Alien franchise begins because of somehow Numi Rapace is impregnated by the guy's like alien sperm, and then like she pulls out the alien from her, and you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that whole sequence, which. I will say that's a pretty creepy scene. 
I mean, it's an effective scene, but Unto there, itself. nothing that it, it it doesn't add up to anything. No, like and with it's, that scene, it's like it's Wayland's medical pod. Yeah, and it's like oh, can't work on women. Well, why can't it? Does that yeah. add anything to the scene? <laughs> it still takes the alien baby out. What difference does it make? Yeah. And some people are like, I've seen, I've heard people defend Prometheus, which is, which is an admirable task, but <laughs> they say like, oh, it's because he doesn't trust anyone. And it's like, okay, so what? Yeah. So what? What does that amount to? Yeah. And it's, and people who defended Prometheus are talking about like Ridley Scott's original vision. Like it's about, uh, it's about like. Trying the birth to find... of religion and things like that, and it how, where humanity that. comes from, and I'm like, well, okay, those would have been great ideas to put in the film, then, but I could assume anything from this. I could assume that it was clowns from outer space who put all this stuff together as a great practical joke. For all I know from the film, yeah, you could so put much, anything in so this. much rich production design, so many rich visual effects. You know, even the ship itself, you know, there are actors, you talk about actors squandered, Idris, Idris Elba, Elba is in the movie, he plays the ship, uh, Captain. uh, Captain. Charlie's Theron. Yeah, Charlie's Theron's in there, um, I don't really remember anyone else. Aside Who was from Wayland? Fassbender. It was, uh, Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Yeah, he, he, and why did it have to be Guy Pierce? Why couldn't you have just gotten Got an, an old, old man? man. <laughs> yeah, what was up with that? Did you think, like, he's the only person who can play an old man? Was he the major draw for this film? <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of shows up... baffling decisions. <laughs> Father. <laughs> so? Yeah, you kind of just... You kind of just shrug at a lot of this, and also the very la- the very end of the film, where it's like, uh, so you have to tie it in, do you guys? But it doesn't tie in anything. <laughs> it doesn't explain anything. Like, oh no, no, it let's does. Ass- let's of assume. Course. No, 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 it does. It, it explains that. Okay, from now here are here's where the Alien franchise takes off, I guess. But it doesn't even. I mean. <laughs> The thing that comes out of that dead engineer's mouth doesn't look... It like looks a, a little... or it, something? It resembles an alien. It doesn't look exactly like it. And the then it's alien. like, it's not even the same planet. How did they get from this planet to another planet? That's a whole other story. Yeah, the space like, jockey thing didn't make sense. Yeah, that's like, that's like trying to link... Return of the Jedi just by looking at the Phantom Menace. <laughs> Prometheus is like a possibly very talented but very confused like college student kind of rushing through his like final paper for a class. Hmm. Is that a good way to put it? I think you. I think you. Uh, you're, you're on. Because when when you talk about all these things that the characters are doing, you, I kind of feel like you're a teacher looking through a paper and you're like, yeah, so what? So what? Yeah. Like, big, big whoop. Like, what is the connective tissue? In a movie, context counts. And things should try to organically lead to one another. Otherwise, you're sitting there asking questions of a movie. And, you know, you may want to be cynical and think, uh, movie audiences, they just want special effects. They don't really care about the story. But what about some of us who do want good story? What about some of us who don't want characters who are acting like idiots when they should be 
highly trained professionals. The like biologist who sees that strange, threatening alien the, snake. And also the guy who... Just little character things are stupid. Like, I don't know if you already brought it up, but... The guy who gets all depressed because yes. of the alien they found the, aliens. The 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 male scientist. Yeah. Who's like, oh, we found we found some evidence of human of of alien life, but I'm all sad because I can't ask them any questions. And I'm like, okay, and like your expectations were unrealistic to begin with. Stephen Hawking has said that. If we, if aliens ever come to meet us, it will basically be like what happened when the the Spanish came to, uh, you know, the New World. Yep, tying it back in with Christopher Columbus. Well, that's I didn't mean <laughs> to do that, but that's pretty interesting. I, um, okay, so let's. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about Prometheus because we should try maybe finish this up soon. All right, what can I say? I mean, to <laughs> me, I I summed it up best when I saw the movie. It's it puts on an A movie facade. It's like we have a huge budget here, guys. We're a super duper A class movie. We're not like this little rinky dink, you know, low budget movie on a ship with all these actors you don't know, like Sigourney Weaver and Harry Dean Stanton. We've got like Charlie's Theron. We've got Michael Fassbender. And it's just like a bunch. It's like something you might see on the Sci Fi Channel. But and it's a but B, that's not the it's worst a B movie. It's worst... a dumb B movie. Yes, and it doesn't rise above its limitations. Right. And the worst part is, is that it was sold as a prequel to the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And everyone and that's was ex- why and that's why Ridley ex- Scott directed it. Right. And that's important to remember because people were expecting some answers to like okay what is the space jockey and what are the aliens and where did they come from and it's like those crew members on that ship everybody including the audience went into prometheus looking for answers Hmm. and nobody got none of that (laughs) yeah it's sometimes it's a it's a kind of example of maybe some questions are better left unanswered yeah. Yeah. Now to quickly wrap this up, there are two Oh wait, can I say one more thing? Please. About the the Aurelian franchise in general, the Wayland Corporation or Wayland Yutani. Mm. Their business model is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the looking for immortality thing. They're trying to weaponize the alien. Something which <laughs> In what way? Like they're trying to bring back a, a, a specimen. Is this in research. Prometheus or an alien? An alien. Yeah, and they, well, it's like they want to research it to see if we can make weapons or something. It's like that. That seems to me like I want to weaponize falling off a cliff, <laughs> and we're gonna try to do research by throwing people off of cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get something back from it. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done. Okay, it's fine. You 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 look like you need a towel and you need to go in the corner. And, uh, I, I need some range. time alone. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, a couple more things to talk about Ridley Scott. Well, it's also important to note really fast that his brother is Tony Scott, and he's had kind of a career all of his own. He He's dead now. but uh, unfortunately. unfortunately. It was kind of sad. He directed Top Gun. Well, you're going to bring up that movie as his biggest... Well, it's his biggest box office. But... Well, say what you will about Top Gun, but it was certainly... No, it is iconic. I think it is not for all the best reasons. It's not a good movie. 
It's it's pretty. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't hold up well. Does it hold up? No. No. But it like, is tr- what it is. True Romance holds up really well. True Romance is great. That was his collaboration with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, cool. Um, he also made a really good submarine movie called Crimson Tide. It's worth checking out. Oh, okay. Just as a side I know note, of Crimson Tide. That's another. And it's Denzel Washington. He's had a pretty Gene good Hackman career too, right? Yeah, it's interesting because Ridley Scott and Tony Scott. It's kind of like Ridley Scott. You might look as being more like I'm going to make these kind of movies that might be a little bit bigger in scale. You know, and I might succeed. I may not at all. Tony Scott, he kind of kept his career as I'm just going to make kind of trashy movies. I'm going to make stuff like Domino and <laughs> Enemy of the State yeah. and uh, The Last Boy Scout, things like that. Um, his last movie was about a train that can't be stopped. Uh, uh, it was called Unstoppable. Uh, yeah, it was. That's a good point. And the whole movie was basically Denzel Washington and Chris Pine on a train and there's actually a very funny Saturday Night Live skit where um, it was just like Chris Pine making fun of uh, Denzel Washington and like Denzel Washington keep on live like <laughs> Maybe it's not as funny as I'm making it sound. Back well, to I Ridley, have to see the but back to Ridley Scott. All right, a couple more, a few more to talk about really fast. The Counselor, uh... The Counselor, 2013. Now, have you seen this one? No. So this is another movie that I'm I should I am actually curious. This is another movie with an extended director's cut. Oh God. Yeah. Now the thing with this movie, I'll actually give Ridley Scott this. It's a very well directed movie in a way. Like again, I give Ridley Scott points. He knows how to he knows where to put the camera. I don't think anybody could ever say that Ridley Scott is a bad director. He just he, doesn't he's know probably how to, a great director. He doesn't know how to wrangle in the material, though. And I think sometimes he takes projects that he's not enthusiastic about. No, that's the problem. I, I feel like Prometheus was like, all right, well, we'll go no, back to I, Alien. See, I actually think he started off on Prometheus probably really excited. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, he just got like, he became down. disillusioned with the whole thing. It seems. Yeah, and I mean, said, granted, let's just get it over with. Yeah, now who knows if some, you know, maybe working in the studio system just sucks, and maybe he doesn't like authority. That seems like a thing, probably yeah. with him. But throughout his work, though, I mean, the number of films that have had director's cuts, it's like at a certain point in your when you're in the industry. Here's the thing I don't get is, you know, certain directors in the industry. There aren't that many of them, but there are a good handful. Like Scorsese is one of them, David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm sure Spielberg, of course. They have Final Cut in their movies. Yeah. Why isn't Ridley Scott? Is it maybe because he just picks projects and is like, eh, whatever, I'll do this, and like he doesn't sign something? Because now, granted, apparently, for example, Kingdom of Heaven, he handed in like you know a three-hour movie, and the studio was like. What we can't put it out like this, mm. you know. The only three-hour movies we put out are Lord of the Rings and shit like that. Um, but now the counselor, this is a case where the movie is, looks good. And it's full of stars. It's full of stars. Well, the fault. <laughs> well, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in our script. Yeah. Poor Mac McCarthy dropped the ball. Were you trying to make a joke there? 
No, he wrote the script. He oh, okay. I thought the way you said that, it almost sounded kind of funny. Um, it's kind of late. Yeah, Cormac McCarthy really, like, it's the kind of script where you see that it, it's definitely a novelist who's writing the script, as opposed to maybe just because, you know, No Country for Old Men and The Road were such strong, it was such strong material to start with. The books that they're based on are really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just really well-crafted stories, and they're very cinematic. The Counselor is just, like, full of gobbledygook. It's full of characters talking on and on and sounding important and saying all these things. And, like, maybe it's different. Again, maybe it's different in the extended cut. I think truth has no temperature, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) You You know that line, even though you haven't seen the movie. You saw the review of it, but yeah. um, it's a movie where, yeah, again, you have, you know, what cast? I mean, you have Fassbender back again. You know, Michael Javier, Fassbender is one Javier of the great guys. Bardem. Javier Bardem. Brad Pitt. Javier Bardem back again playing, doing a Cormac McCarthy material with crazy hair. Right. Like he did No Country. Brad Pitt, Cameron Diaz. Penelope Rosie Cruz. Perez is in it briefly. She is. Wow, yeah. good point. Wow, another Selma callback. Selma Hayek? No, no, no Selma Hayek is not in it. Um, the Who problem is, of? there's... I don't know. You're thinking Penelope Cruz? Yes, sorry. Well, they're very different. Um, well, maybe not by that much. Anyway, the movie is pretty sordid. It's pretty violent. I mean, of course, there's the whole thing with the bolero. Bolito. Bolito, Bolero sorry. Is, a, is a kind of music. <laughs> That would be a good name for a band, though. Bolero Bolito. <laughs> this music will make your head come off. I, I would think it, uh, uh, that would be the name of a recording artist. Bolero Bolito. Okay, yeah. Actually, it seems like the name of a character in a cartoon that, like, you wouldn't know what, like, I like. I don't know what cartoon. I just picture that being a cartoon on a show. Okay. And so a very well shot movie that I just, I, I don't know, like... Somehow, like Ridley Scott should have just sat down with Cormac McCarthy and be like, "No, no, not good. This needs another draft." But at the same time, Ridley Scott's now in his late seventies. Cormac McCarthy, I think, is eighty at least. So you have like these two old men who just do not give a damn. You know, we're gonna make this movie full of lots of you know really violent, terrible things. And that can be fine. And there's actually one really fun sequence in the movie where Javier Bardem tells Michael Fassbender the story about how Cameron Diaz, for lack of a better term, bucks his car. Yeah. And he repeats that over and over again. And it's actually a very funny scene. It almost, in a weird way, plays almost like a Tarantino scene or something. Huh. Like something like he would write. Like one of those quirky, over-the-top things. But and it's, again, one of these movies where it just doesn't add up to something... Even though it should, it seems like it could be really cool, and it just leaves you like, well, what was that about? Now, the last movie he made that was released was Exodus Gods and Kings, which is the first Ridley Scott movie since a good year that I've skipped. Uh. I just didn't go see it. Part of it was, I think, you know, money maybe, but also just eh. lack of interest. I mean, I mean, I like you know Christian Bale's a great guy. Um, I even kind of like Joel Hedgerton plays Ramses in the movie, but 
don't know. It everything I, I certainly heard, wasn't excited about. Everything it. I heard about the movie said it was completely dull. It was not like you know, and there was also a lot of controversy. I think because he didn't cast like a lot of uh, brown skinned people, you, you know, because it's in Egypt. Like we're going to question Ridley Scott about historical accuracy now. Yeah. In a story about the Bible. You know, you weren't up in arms about his other movies. Now you're upset about this one. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll check it out soon. And then his next movie maybe could be interesting. He's returning to science fiction. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about it. Um, do, 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 do. I'm going to tell you about this movie and then we'll get going. Um, yeah, um, it's called The Martian. Oh now, yeah, this you is based. That. Now this is based on a pretty popular book. Apparently, it's out right now, and uh, the plot synopsis says: um, During a manned mission to Mars, astronaut Mark Watney is presumed dead after a fierce storm and left behind by his crew. But Watney has survived and finds himself str- stranded and alone on the hostile planet. With only meager supplies, he must draw upon his ingenuity, wit, and spirit to subsist and find a way to signal to Earth that he is alive. Hopefully he's a lot smarter than the astronauts in Prometheus. <laughs> well, hopefully so. Well, Matt Damon plays the, the main character, apparently. A lot Another top-shelf cast. You got, um, according to IMDb, you have Kate Mara, Jessica Chastain, uh, Kristen Wiig. That's a little surprising. Uh, Sean Bean. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Sean Bean dies. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny, though? He recently hasn't been dying. He didn't die in Jupiter Ascending. Oh. So. I would have I would have guessed totally the other way. Nope. Not a bit. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor. And, oh, the other good thing, maybe, hopefully it's a good sign, the script is written by uh, Drew Goddard, who, uh, I think, yeah, he directed Cabin in the Woods. Oh, great. Yeah, so hopefully this time around, Ridley Scott will maybe get his act together and Another make a really good movie. Weaver connection. Oh, yeah, uh, how so? Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot. She, yeah, she was in that. Um, so, yeah, any final words on Ridley Scott? Um, we sh- I should also say that he's produced, like, a ton of movies as well. I think a lot of them he produced with, um, with Tony Scott and... Really eclectic bunch, if you want to look at them. Actually, he produced a movie, uh, movie Stoker, which I really liked. Mm. Produced a lot of stuff. But, yeah, so what, what? any final words? All right, Ridley Scott, Prometheus will always be my most hated movie. <laughs> really? But you put... <laughs> See, I, I, I could say that, but you haven't seen Chappie yet. If you ever watch Chappie, you that might replace it for you. I'm not expecting anything from Chappie, but yeah. uh, anyway, uh, but still, he has quality. He knows you're not. He's not a bad director. No, he's not a bad director. I think we've gone over when we look at the films he's made. You know, again, wow, shocker. And I've seen you know, and, and granted, I know I've seen more more than you have. He 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 has he he has a point of view. It's just that sometimes. He's one of those filmmakers who, because he doesn't write his own scripts, he has to rely on other people. And sometimes movies are a crapshoot. You sometimes get good movies. Sometimes you do not at all. Yeah. Sometimes things happen during the making of a movie that mess it up. It might not be the director's fault completely. 
Or it might be his fault entirely. Yes. Let's put all the blame on Ridley Scott it's and easy. his cigar-chomping ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, if you've liked, if you are interested in any of the movies that we've talked about tonight, you know, you should check them out. And I'm sure some of them are on Netflix. And you could check out one of the thousand cuts of Blade Runner or Legend or Gladiator or the Counselor. Like, you know, he's... Yeah, there's there's something for everybody in Ridley Scott's filmography. There is. I mean, you know, if you look at the films, I mean, Alien, Blade uh, Runner, Thelma and Louise, American Gangster, Matchstick Men, Gladiator, Prometheus, even even arguably the Counselor. The guy's all over the place, but he certainly and that's admirable. Yeah, I mean, ultimately you could say, well, he didn't really become the John Ford of of uh, science fiction, but. He he was he did become like kind of like a studio director in like the old man's famous fashion way. Yeah, man's famous. So here's to Ridley Scott, sort of holding up my mug and half. May you never turn in another project like Prometheus. Mm. Cheers, outlaw. Ting. All right, and that's it for tonight on the Wages of Cinema. We what hope are your you've plans enjoyed talking for the next two us. weeks? Um, movie wise, movie wise, it's a good question. Um, I'm going to try to watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Have and you ever Under seen the it? Skin. No. Ooh. Yeah, let me know how, if you watch that, let me know how it is. I. Oh, well, you've never seen it. Well, of course. About... <laughs> no, I, and when I saw a movie when I was 12. Oh, jeez. And that, like, that's a good movie to see when you're 12. It really, uh, <laughs> um, I might try to watch, uh, this Tommy Lee Jones Western I bought recently called The Homesman. All right. Um, that might be kind of cool. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I have a couple of movies on my radar. I want to see David Cronenberg's new movie, Maps to the Stars. I've been meaning to see that for a while. And, uh, maybe The Babadook. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of The Babadook. The Babadook's coming yes. to get you. Maybe. Oh, and well, another movie that I bought recently that I have to watch, uh, The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Absolutely. You gotta watch that. Exactly. On Blu-ray, no less. So I'm gonna... Sweet. Throw that in. Sweet. Absolutely, man. And uh, so that would call us a night, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us. If you'd like to send any comments, uh, you can reach you can reach me at jackgatnell at yahoo.com, and I'll answer on behalf of both of us. And uh, the other thing, we're going to try to work very soon on getting onto iTunes. And I've actually sent a request in uh, uh, to the site to try to get us on, and it might take a little bit, but we'll try to get on there so that you can subscribe to us oh awesome when that's done you'll be the first to know all right thanks a lot jack thanks a lot andrew and uh let me remind you before you we you take two remember movies take two the wages of cinema are death have a good night good night i don't know what i was doing there